welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On today's podcast, I talk with Kelly Ryder, head coach of the Curry College Women's Ice Hockey Program. She discusses starting two Division Three hockey programs, goes into detail about Curry College, and gives lots of advice about the college recruiting process. Kelly shares many great insights, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get to today's amazing episode, I wanted to talk to you about the app part of Champs App. Did you know that there are over 30 NCAA coaches with Champs App profiles that you can connect with directly? These include coaches from every D1 conference. Champs App lets you create a free, beautiful online hockey resume to share with coaches, teams, and players. Your profile includes all the information coaches want to know to help decide if you are a player they want to keep on their recruiting radar. When you connect with coaches, they will receive automatic updates when you change your profile, add game or video, or alert them to upcoming games on your schedule. Just go to champs.app and click the sign up button to start your profile. You can check out the full list of the NCAA coaches using Champs app by clicking on the links in the show notes. I'm very excited to have on the podcast Kelly Ryder, head coach of the Curry College Women's Ice Hockey Program. Hailing from Glenmount, New York, she played college hockey at Quinnipiac for four years before starting her coaching journey. Prior to Curry, she coached high school and prep school hockey and then held coaching positions at UMass Boston and Newman University in Pennsylvania before starting the D3 program at Northland College in Wisconsin. She then repeated the challenge by starting the D3 program at Curry College in 2021, and the team is now in their second year. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Ray. I'm excited. Uh, very excited to have you on the podcast, and like we do all our guests, why don't we start out just learning about your hockey history, how you started playing hockey in upstate New York. Um, I come from a hockey family. My dad... Um is the Dave Ryder of the Ryder Cup from Albany Academy. So I basically grew up around a rink. Um, I played girls hockey starting in, I think, middle school, um, but I continued to play boys hockey through high school. I played on a before and after team and then um, went to Quinnipiac and played four years, and I absolutely loved it. So did you um, did you play with girls uh, in your youth hockey at all? And if you did, like, what, what kind of teams were they? Um, I played with the Troy Albany um Ice Cats from, I want to say, like, sixth or seventh grade all the way through senior year. Um, but I continue to play with the boys through my senior year of high school, too. So um, I kind of added in the girls hockey, but wanted to stay in boys hockey at the same time. Totally understood that. We've talked a lot about girls playing boys hockey on the podcast. How does it? How did the two experiences compare? Um, my boys team, it was kind of the same group of people that continue to kind of, like, grow up together. Um, so I never had to, like, be reintroduced to a new team. So it was kind of, like, the team I had played with since I was little. Um, and I think that helped me to get used to making decisions quicker. Obviously, um, as they got older, the speed of the game got quicker. Um, I think a big thing for me too was also just the physical aspect of it. Not that I was the most physical player myself, but um, learning how to take a hit, give a hit. Um, I think it just helps you learn how to protect the puck more, even transferring over to girls hockey. And then from the girls' side, um, when I played, there was really 12U and 19U. So when I started playing with girls hockey, I was 12 years old playing on a 19-year-old team. So um, definitely a different social experience. Um, but I think it was really nice to be around more girls than just maybe like one other girl on my team. So, Gotcha, gotcha. And um, separate from the actual physical contact piece of things, um, were there any other skills like shooting or skating um, or strategy that you had to do differently with girls than you did with boys? 
Um, I think it was just like the speed of the game, um, but I think the speed of the game may allowed me to play or think quicker um, at the the girls level. So I think it helped transfer it over. Um, but I would really say it was really just the physical aspect um, and then just the social aspect. Again, when I played, I was with 19 year olds when I was 12 compared to when I was playing with the boys and they're all my same age. So it was just a little bit different from a social aspect. Gotcha. So how did you end up at Quinnipiac? Um, I knew I wanted to major in athletic training, um, and I knew I wanted to play Division One hockey. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be the best Division One hockey player. I joke that I'm the slowest player to ever play Division One hockey, um, but they were the one school that was going to allow me to do athletic training and be a hockey player at the D1 level, and um, went to the campus. Absolutely love the campus. I met Coach Barrett, who um, we actually just played against him, so we coached against him. Um, but so I met him, um, felt like we were a good match, um, and it just felt like the right fit. Um, I feel like sometimes it's hard for me to relate to some people that have a hard time deciding between this school and this school, because um, to me it was kind of like Quinnipiac was my school the whole time. Um, but I absolutely loved it. I wouldn't change it. I would go back and do it all over again. So uh, it was definitely the right fit for me. It was, you know, close to home, not too far away, but far enough away to have some separation, grow up on my own, um, but be able to have the athletic training experience and the hockey experience at the same time. Gotcha, gotcha. And from a hockey perspective, um, you, you have a unique statistic in that you have twice as many penalty minutes as you do points, uh, according to Elite <laughs> Prospects. You want to talk about that experience? Um, well, like I said, I wasn't the best Division One player. Um, I would like to think that I definitely made my teammates better. Um, one of my favorite games was we were playing Dartmouth, and this is back when they had a bunch of Olympians, and my job was basically to shadow Sarah Parsons and I thought that was the coolest thing ever, and I thought it was one of the easiest games I've ever played and didn't show up on the score sheet, but it definitely made a difference. Um, sometimes I joke my job is to win a face-off and get off the ice, but again, I just love the experience. I love being around my teammates. I love being able to push them. Um, I liked being pushed myself. Um, for me, I definitely wanted to be on a team where I was going to be pushed. I'd rather be the last person on the depth chart than one of the top players on the depth chart, so that was just kind of my preference of what I wanted. Gotcha, gotcha. And do you think that your role on that team um, has helped you as you became a coach? Like, were there things that you were learning as, you know, playing college on, you know, not on the top line that you, because you, you were more observing a lot as opposed to playing a lot, um, that, that, that really helped you become a coach? So one of my favorite college experiences, uh, I was injured and, um, our coach actually allowed me still to travel when we went to, um, Wisconsin. So they had just won a national championship. I know I'm not going to play. Um, and this is back when we could have headsets. So he put me on a headset up top. Um, and I was telling him, you know, like what line was coming next, what four check they were running. Um, and that was one of my best hockey experiences. And I wasn't even on the ice. So I think um, whether it was helping my teammates on the bench of Ryder, what four check are we doing? Where am I supposed to go as F3? Um, where am I supposed to do on this power play? Um, or coach actually putting me in the stands like I was already kind of stepping into that role as a coach. But I think that also goes back to just my kind of family life at home. And, you know, I'd be five years old wanting to cut video with my dad at home. So I feel like I've kind of been a coach since I was born. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So t tell us about that transition from your playing days into coaching. Obviously, uh, you started off in high school and some prep school in, in the uh, the Massachusetts area. So maybe uh, share, share how that transition took place. I thought I always wanted to be at the college level, um, but I thought it'd be easier to kind of get my feet wet um, from like the prep school perspective or high school perspective and then decide if that's really what I wanted to do rather than kind of do it the other way around. Um, so um, 
my first year in coaching, um, I had taken a year off from school. So I was back home. I was working as an athletic trainer. Um, so I got coaching. I think it was a 12U team um, for the organization that I had played for, the Troy Albany Ice Cats. Um, and then um, I went to BU for grad school, which is kind of how I fell in love with Boston, a big piece of why I'm now here at Curry. Um, and while I was there, I was an assistant coach for UMass Boston um, and then had the opportunity to be at Dexter Southfield full time, um, mostly as an athletic trainer. But I was still coaching and they allowed me to be the head coach at Canton High School, which is ironically just down the street. Um, so um, it was good to have those experiences, but I knew I definitely wanted to get into the college level um, and those opportunities at Dexter Southfield allowed me to kind of build up my bank account to be able to afford being a, a part-time assistant coach at the college level. Um, so then I got right into it at Newman, um, went as the assistant coach. Uh, the head coach, uh, Casey Hanrahan, got sick uh, in November of that year, and he actually had to take a medical leave, so I kind of had to take over. Um, and then he left for a new position at UConn, and um, Newman asked me to be their head coach, and that kind of went from there. Nice, nice. And then you got asked to be the uh, inaugural coach for the uh, Northland College team in Wisconsin. So how, how, how did that go? And, and what was that experience like? And, and what did you learn from it? Um, it was a little nerve wracking to be moving to the Midwest. Um, I've always been kind of an East Coaster, um, but I thought it was a good way for me to broaden my networks, um, kind of Minnesota, Western Canada. Um, and I've always kind of been a person that I'd rather kind of build things up rather than have to break them down to build them up. So I kind of thought of myself as a program builder. Um, so I thought it was a great opportunity to start a program um, and get into some more networks. Um, I really enjoyed meeting the men's head coach at the time. He's now also the um, athletic director, um, Seamus Gregory. So I felt like we were a really good kind of coaching duel together. Um, so it just felt like the right fit. And um, I didn't think I was going to be there that long, but it was five years and I really enjoyed it. Um, I kind of wish I didn't have to leave during COVID. Um, didn't get really a chance to say goodbye to players or, um, you know, fellow colleagues, but definitely enjoyed the people there while I was there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you, you brought up COVID. Um, and I know you've been pretty public on Twitter about your uh, COVID situation. Maybe you want to just take a moment and, and, and let folks know kind of the challenges that you've had uh, with COVID. Um, so I had COVID in September of 2021. So that's now um, over 15 months ago. Um, I still have long COVID. I still have no taste, no smell. I still have cardiac issues. I've had every cardiac test you can imagine. Um, echo tests, stress tests, um, a ton of EKGs, tons of blood work. Um, I cannot tolerate exercise. I cannot tolerate heat. Um, if I were to walk up a flight of stairs, my heart rate is going to be in the 160s. Um, I haven't been able to lift in 15 months. Um, there's days kind of fatigue wise where I'm just spent. Um, and then I kind of have some trouble processing to the point where I had to go to speech therapy for three months. So um, some days are better than others, but I feel like maybe on a podcast like this, you can look at me and tell I'm a little tired, but that's where it's coming from. So there's good days and bad days. I'm definitely improving. But um, the last time I went to the cardiologist, he told me it's probably gonna be another year until I, I feel like myself. So well. And not sure my opinion matters, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell if uh, you didn't tell me this or I didn't know on, on, on social media about, about the experience that you've been in. Um, it's a good thing that you're not the track and field coach um, and yep. you're the hockey coach yep. because you get to be and indoors as opposed to being in the heat. And it's a good thing that I'm a coach and not a player. If I was a player, my career would be over. So um, I guess I'm glad that it's happening now rather than I was, you know, the age of our players right now. 
Gotcha, gotcha. And sorry, just one last question related to that. How, how yeah. does it affect you actually doing your role as the head coach these days? Um, I think the way that I prepare is a little different. I take, um, like, when I'm recruiting on the road, I'll take more notes than I normally would. Just it kind of helps me to process it more to kind of have it on paper. Um, I kind of have to find the right time to cut video. Um, usually in the mornings is the best. That's before my nervous system is totally tapped out. So um, I feel like I've adapted and changed what I'm doing, or I might be writing more things down to kind of refer to it in game. But um, most days it doesn't affect me. Um, after our game on Friday this weekend, I was totally spent, um, was not okay, um, but then got good sleep and I knew kind of to trust my body. I feel like I have a better sense of when to kind of back off now and it was okay to go, good to go when we played Amherst on Saturday. Well, thank you very much for sharing all this stuff because, yeah. uh, you know, it's a, it's a very personal kind of situation that you're going through. So, so if, thanks for letting folks know. If anybody's struggling COVID-wise and they haven't tried speech therapy, 100% recommend it. That was key for me. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm going to shift gears a little bit is, um, you know, recently I've had a couple of D3 coaches on, uh, most recently Chris Baudo, um, and, and he was talking about how recruiting for D3 is a little bit different. And I just want to talk a little bit about D3 hockey kind of in general. So one thing I, I didn't realize until I really kind of dived into it recently is how many D3 programs there are. There's like, you know, 60% more D3 programs than there are D1 programs. Um, and maybe just talk about the schedule and kind of what's different of D3 versus D1 a little bit to, to refresh the memory of some of our uh, folks who may not have listened to those episodes. Uh, I think the biggest difference is obviously we can't offer athletic scholarship. Um, our season is a little bit shorter. I think that allows um, athletes to kind of do more than just their sport or it's more than just a business. Um, for me as a coach, that's why I prefer D3. I kind of get to know players a little bit more outside of the playing season. There's not always kind of that elephant of playing time in the room. Um, but uh, as far as kind of the daily schedule, like once we get going, um, and again, we have got 25 regular season games. Um, two scrimmages. Once we get going, though, I think it, most teams treat it like a D1 program as far as we're on the ice, you know, Monday through Thursday, there's office, there's video, um, usually play Fridays and Saturdays, typically Sundays and off day. Um, but I think the biggest difference is just we can't offer that athletic scholarship. Um, recruiting is a little bit tougher because of that. Um, and then just the season's a little bit shorter. But um, the competition, um, I think, um, especially during COVID, you saw a couple of D3 teams play some D1 teams and you could see how close the competition is. So um, I think it's still good competition. I think coaches treat it like a D1 program. Um, a lot of programs are really well funded. So um, it's definitely still a really good option if somebody's passionate about playing college hockey. Yeah, and if you believe my hockey rankings ratings, um, you would see that actually the top D3 programs are probably better than the bottom D1 programs if they were to compete head-to-head -head, uh, most of the time. So um, one of the things that Chris Baudo mentioned when, when we had him on from Nazareth College was that once a player decides that they want to go D3 as opposed to D1, the importance of the school and the education becomes the top of their list. Hockey actually becomes secondary. Maybe you want to talk about that and from your experience what that's like, especially having seen the multiple programs. Um, I mean, that's a big reason why I came to Curry. We have a wider range of academic majors and minors. Um, we're very career focused with Boston just down the street, seven miles. Um, there are a lot of opportunities for internships um, comparatively to um, some other schools I've been or schools that I've had friends at. Um, you know, you might graduate from four years and then now what? Like, how do you separate yourself from other people? So um, I think that's important when you're trying to attract student athletes and obviously they're looking for that academic piece and what they're going to do after hockey. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities, um, 
you know, that we have here Curry um, that maybe you wouldn't get elsewhere. Um, but, you know, students are definitely looking for the right fit. Um, they want, a lot of them want smaller class sizes. Um, they'll ask about academic support. Um, what kind of internships or clinicals are they going to be getting into? What's your success rate, you know, getting into jobs? What's your success rate getting into med school or law school or um, different things like that? So um, when you are paying for it, even if it's not you, it's your parents, um, there's a little bit more that goes into kind of, you know, figuring out your return on investment and what's the right fit. And, you know, I think of it as you're buying a house. Um, you may not have every single thing you want. You may not find the three bedrooms, two baths, you know, huge backyard, two garages, but maybe you find two bedrooms, two baths with everything else in a pool. So um, you may not be able to check every single thing off your list, um, but, you know, knowing what's most important to you and prioritizing that. Um, but I definitely see a lot of the D3 recruits prioritizing academics over hockey, which is the right way to do it. Great, great, great. And um, you kind of mentioned that Curry College is uh, just outside Boston. It's in uh, Milton, Massachusetts. It's got around 2,000 undergrad students. Maybe just share a little bit more about the college and kind of the, uh, the areas of expertise on the academic side. Um, we've got majors from all over. Um, some big ones just at the school. We're well known for our nursing program. Your clinicals are, you know, in the best hospitals in the world. You know, Children's Hospital, Brigham and Women's, BMC. Um, we're well known for our criminal justice um, education, business, again, business, um, no matter which direction you want to get into, um, tons of opportunities for internships with top-notch companies in the area. Um, we have some recent new majors like sports and recreation management. Um, we've had a lot of people do internships with different, you know, things within the Bruins organization. Um, the Patriots are only 20 minutes away as well. So um, a lot of different majors, um, class sizes, I would say on average about 20, could be a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger, depending on your class or your major. The biggest class would, I think, be topped at 34. Um, so definitely you get that small, close-knit environment. And I just think it's unique that you can have that community feel. Um, you, you have a true campus feel. You get to know people on campus. You know your professors. You have tons of resources. Um, but then you have the ability and flexibility to go to the city, but not be overwhelmed by the city. So I think we're in a unique position to have all the benefits of the city, but have that still close-knit community and environment um, on campus. Yeah, and I believe there's some uh, major sports companies as well there. Uh, you know, uh, New Balance is prominent. Uh, I'm not sure if Reebok's still there, but uh, they used to be uh, in the Boston area. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of sports-related stuff if they folks want to pursue that uh, business side yeah. of things. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the hockey team. Um, we'll get into actually starting the program in just a moment, but just generally speaking, uh, tell us, you know, about the uh, Commonwealth Coast Conference, uh, the CCC um, playing at Canton Ice House, um, and just generally, you know, just how, how the team is set up. Yeah, I always laugh because we're CC playing in the CCC. So lots of C's. Um, um, the and CCC, the I think, nice is a, house, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the CCC is a strong conference. Um, if you look at records last year or this year, um, on any given night, any team can be any team. Um, so we're doing okay right now. We're sitting in fifth. Um, we've basically split with pretty much everybody we've played so far. Um, we've got some big games coming up in the second semester. Um, Last year, didn't have a ton of success in season, but um, I want to say going into the third period, we were either winning tied or within two goals in like 17 out of 20-something games. So um, I think you could see the progress and that we were competitive. Um, and now we've been able to take it up a notch this year. Um, we did end the last season last year with a win against Suffolk in playoffs. So that was good to show our potential. 
Um, and then we had a good non-conference test this past weekend when we played Amherst and we only lost two nothing. So um, they definitely outshot us, but I think we played good D zone, um, had good goaltending. So I think everybody can see the progress we're making, the direction that we're going. And um, it's nice from the CCC perspective too, that everybody's within two hours. So it gives a good balance um, from being a student and athlete and even just having the college experience. Yeah, so I, I did look at some of your stats. So I saw you getting some great goaltending. That, that's very clear. You're like the 95% save percentage and things like that. But on the offensive side, uh, only 13 goals. Um, and, I, and if I remember correctly, most of it's on the power play. So what's it going to take to generate more offense from uh, from, from your uh, from your front players? Well, well, first, I keep joking that like we probably have one of the lowest goals against averages. Um, I think the last time I looked, um, one of our goalies was like in the top five in the country. Um, and on the other side, we are like the worst for goals for. So I think it's kind of a unique situation to be at the top at one and the bottom of the other right now. Um, I think part of that, though, is we've had some pretty significant injuries to um, some top players. Um, at one point, we were playing without two of our top 4D. Um, we've been missing um, a top forward almost every single game. I think there was maybe two games where we had basically the top six. Um, it's nice that our power play has been successful because we've had so many different people on it. Um, we've had to practice power play so much every single week because each week we've never had the same group of 10 um, moving into the next week because we've had so many injuries. So um, hopefully we'll be all healthy when we get back for the break. Um, we had some good, good, uh, positive, healthy news about um, an x-ray from one of our players um, recently. So hoping that um, now that we get everybody back, um, some of the success on the power play can start to transfer to five on five. Gotcha, gotcha. So while we're still talking about the actual team on ice performance, how are things going compared to where you thought they'd be at this point? You know, what's gone better than what you thought and what is something that you, you expected to be a little bit further along? Maybe, maybe it's a goal scoring. Um, I mean, I think it starts from the back end out. We have three goalies that are all great goalies. Um, I've looked at, you know, rosters when we're playing somebody else and I'm like, I would take our three over their starter. Um, so I think it helps um, me as a coach have that trust and faith in our goalies, um, but also helps us as a team. And I think um, our goaltending is better than it was last year. I think our depth at defense is better than we were last year. And I think we just build it out. So the next step is scoring goals. But um, so we kind of expected that to be better, but um, it's been nice to see it kind of come together and see how it's impacted kind of moving up through the process. So um it's definitely been nice, too, to see how the freshmen and the sophomores um, have kind of integrated. Um, we're almost half and half, so you're always kind of a little worried as a coach, especially when you've been building a team. Is that going to go well? Is that not going to go well? Um, so that was something I was a little, I guess, anxious about, um, but it's been it's gone really well. Um, I don't think that any would, anyone would be able to tell who's a first year, who's a sophomore, um, even our one senior, like the difference. And I think everybody has a voice. Everybody feels heard. So. Um, I think they've done a great job of really um, including everybody, uh, welcoming everybody. And I think that culture is transferring onto the ice and you can see that. Gotcha. Okay. So we're, we're, you're starting to talk about the team makeup. So we're going to start shifting a little bit more towards the recruiting side of things. And let's just start with the basic of the principles that you believe in. And I know you, everywhere you go, you talk about the three P's. Um, and they're <laughs> even, if you're watching on the uh, YouTube video, you can see the three P's above her head. So maybe just talk about them and what, what bleeding purple means with three P's. Yeah. So our three P's are passion, pride, and purpose. Um, we go through as a team, like, what does that look like? It's more than I'm wearing, you know, a purple zip up right now, um, with a curry logo on it, um, on the ice, you know, am I back checking? 
Um, am I having a purposeful ozone entry um, in the classroom? Am I sitting at the front of the classroom in a social setting? Like, am I looking out for other people and my teammates, um, you know, and taking pride in every decision that you're making, um, whether that be decisions you're making on the weekend, how hard you're working in the weight room, um, you know, when you're stuck out there on a long change, how you're, you're performing um, and doing everything with a purpose. So um, everything we do is to get better for team success um, for individual academic success, you're here to be a student first and to get a degree and to be able to get a career. So um, when I first got the job here, um, the three Ps have always kind of been my thing wherever I've gone. Um, I used the same three Ps when I was at Northland. Um, but when I saw that Curry was using the hashtag bleed purple right away, I knew that I was going to start using bleed purple and spelling it with the three Ps. So that's kind of our, our thing now. Uh, and and you've been very kind of um, public also on social media about your recruiting strategy and incorporating three Ps in your philosophies. And we're going to go into a little bit more detail on them. Um, but as it relates to the Curry team, how has your recruiting strategy changed from recruiting for that first year of basically all freshmen to where you're now at, where you're in the middle of your second year um, and, and you're looking forward? Um, I think there's kind of two pieces to it. One is, you know, moving that year one to year two to year three. Um, but the other piece is when we were recruiting for year one was COVID and we couldn't travel and go anywhere. So our approach to recruiting was a lot different. Um, that's part of the reason that our social media presence has been so much as it is. Um, that was pretty much the only tool that we could kind of use in that first year. Um, so I think part of it is just the times that we're in and being able to, you know, actually get out and see players. Um, but now obviously you're looking for a smaller class. You have a better sense of, um, what role do we need to fill? Um, I think some of our more skilled forwards are a little bit smaller. So we'd love to be able to add, you know, a little bit bigger, more physical presence of a forward. Um, you can look at, okay, we've got, you know, these D on power plays, maybe we want another right shot defenseman. Um, so now you're starting to be more specific in really knowing your team and what your needs are. Um, and then you're also more selective. Um, so I think we go a little bit deeper in the process of um, making sure we're sure about their hockey ability and skill, but also um, doing that extra follow-up, not that we didn't do the follow-up before, but the extra follow-up with coaches and teammates. Um, we have students here now on our team that know players we're recruiting. We can ask them for their feedback. I now know I can trust them and kind of what they think. Um, so it just becomes more selective, more competitive, and now really filling the roles that we, we see we need to fill. Gotcha. And um, so one of the things that I did see was, you know, the number of players that you have on your current roster. I don't remember the exact number, but it's roughly in the mid-20s. Um, 25. With, yeah, so um, you have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. So... How are you going to be needing more players? Because that seems like a full roster for at least two years. Um, you always need players. Things always happen. Um, there's always going to be somebody that thinks that hockey is no longer for them. There could be a change in a family's financial situation. Could be a career-ending injury. Um, when I was at Northland, I recruited a player there. Um, I absolutely loved her. She's one of my favorite players I've ever coached. Um, I thought she was going to end up being a leader for us um, and have a letter. Um, but she had a career-ending injury her second game into her freshman year. So um, that's somebody that we had planned to be around, but isn't around. Um, so things happen. Um, it's also unique. Um, you know, we last year spoke to a couple players and said, I can't guarantee you ice time, but you've been a great teammate. You're buying in. I'll leave it up to you if you want to be part of this moving forward. We'd love to have you, but I don't want you to be under here under false pretenses. So um there was definitely um, a, a student or two that said, you know, I want to do that. I'm all in. 
Um, so that kind of opens up for a little bit more room. Um, so, you know, we're not adding too many players, but we might be a little bit bigger than our typical 25, 26 in the next year or two. Um, but again, if, if those are great culture people and they're doing what's asked of them and they're still contributing and they're obviously still a valuable member to the team, then we want them around if they want to be around. Okay, beautiful. Thank you for answering that question. That's a, that's, that's a, a sensitive question to be, uh, to, to be answering. So, um, excuse me, let's move on to now more generic recruiting uh, questions. So in D3, um, I asked the same question to Chris Baudo, like how many times do you need to see a player in, you know, at, for, for, for you now? I think it sounds like it's a little bit more than you used to, especially if you're trying to do it in person um, before you're, you're ready to kind of make an offer to a player at the D3 level. For me, it totally depends on the player. Um, I also think that now, because this is the second program I've started, um, my ability to kind of watch a player for a short amount of time and then be able to determine on my own if they'd be a fit or not, um, I can do that a little bit quicker. Um, so it, it kind of depends on, you know, where I've seen them, who I've seen them play. A lot of the times I may have seen them in summer hockey and I have a good sense of kind of where they are at, but I want to see them in their season or vice versa. Um, some players may look really great in season and then in summer hockey are kind of having bad habits and we want people with good habits. So um, it kind of depends per player or even um, just the ability to see somebody. Like if I know I can go down the street and watch somebody for a third time just to, okay, I'm trying to decide between these two players, let me go watch her again. Um, I'm going to be able to do that. Um, if it's somebody that is from Western Canada and I've only been able to see them once or twice, like I need to be able to trust my notes. Um, so um, kind of depends per player. Um, and a lot of times we're all, as college coaches, we're going all the same tournaments. So um, there's some players that you naturally just see more often. Um, so I think it's more of a just, they've been at the tournaments you're at, not necessarily that you've specifically gone for just that one player. Yes, oh, given the number of coaches that I've seen at the many number of events, there are just some teams that show up to all the events and some that, you know, uh, just don't have as many opportunities to get out there because they're, you know, in, in a distant state. So, yeah, and, very... And COVID uh, times shows you too, like you don't need to spend all that money to go to 10 tournaments a year. So um, if you're good enough, people are going to find you. Um, I have a player on our team right now who I saw um, in the summer of 2019, um, and she was a freshman here last year. Um, and that was the only time I ever saw her and I just had to trust my notes and she's on the top of our first power play unit right now. So, um, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't take much if, if you're the, you're the right fit, the right player. Um, and if you're a good enough player, so definitely families and players shouldn't have to feel like they have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to 12 different showcases and tournaments. Um, you know, for us, my biggest pet peeve is we get to the, the point of offering a commitment and somebody turns around and says they can't afford it, but I know that they just spent. $30,000 on a hockey academy and $10,000 in summer hockey. And I'm like, well, that money would have been able to pay for school. Yeah, understood. Understood. So um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, you, you, you've done a lot of social media um, posts about the recruiting process and your advice. Um, and so I want to kind of go a little early in the, in the process and just say like, what's the best email or direct message that you've received from a player that got your attention? Um. Honestly, short and sweet. <laughs> um, I want to know who you are, what your position is, who you play for, um, why you're interested in Curry. Uh, I would say those are the ones that really get my attention the most of like, oh, this this kid has really done their research and um, really has a passion to want to be at Curry, not just trying to find a roster spot. Um, so 
Um, we are bombarded with messages. We have other duties on our campuses. The season is crazy and long and busy, and we're trying to be there for all of our own student athletes. So the shorter, the better. Um, but obviously, we want to know who you are, your position, your team, your year, um, jersey number. Um, that's a big pet peeve of mine of when people send video and then they don't tell me what color jersey they're in or what number they are. And I'm trying to figure it out by watching 12 people on the ice. Um, so short and sweet. And then just a good line of, you know, why this school specifically. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and do you remember any individual message or uh, email that you've gotten that was like just so clearly not well done that sticks out in your brain? <laughs> um, I have gotten a, I think it was, I think it was around Thanksgiving time this year. Got an email. Um, hey, coach, hope you can come see me play. I'm interested in Curry. And I was like, I have no idea who you are. I have no idea what tournament you're playing. And I have no idea what your team is. You, I have no idea. Like, I don't have a cell phone number for you. I, I don't know how old you are. Um, so not a lot of information. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So one of the things that I've been hearing from parents, and also, obviously, I speak to enough coaches that I hear a little bit about it, is both player etiquette and coach etiquette. Um, and I know you've, you've talked about this on, on, on social media. I know you always respond to every potential recruit, which is truly phenomenal. Um, and I know many coaches do that, but not everybody does. Not all recruits respond to coaches and not all coaches respond to recruits. In fact, I, I know of someone who, um, you know, a dad told me that, you know, their, their daughter committed to a D1 school or, you know, earlier this fall um, and said, you know, that it, it's actually like the real world recruiting. Some schools are really good at following up and having a great candidate experience and some lead you on and then ghost you. So maybe just talk about, you know, how, how what some principles and philosophies and how you think about that are. Um, first, I will never ghost somebody. Um, I'm going to respond. Um, I think everybody deserves a response, but I also understand it's a little bit different when you're talking at the D1 level. I think of the number of messages I get um, and then some people aren't going to be a D3 fit. Um, so I can imagine that D1 coaches are being bombarded. Um, so it, it's not personal. Um, I think there's also a lot of confusion sometimes about if someone is actually being recruited. Um, because a coach responds to an email doesn't mean that you're necessarily being recruited by that coach. Um, at any point in the recruiting process, I encourage recruits and their parents to ask those questions of, does this mean I'm being recruited? Does this mean that you're offering me a spot? Um, does this mean that I fit on this place on your depth chart? Like you it's always okay to ask questions. Um, but I think a lot of times there's confusion of, you know, this coach or this player didn't get back to me. And if you ask that coach or player, they, they didn't think that they were being recruited. So um, I think that's part of the miscommunication piece. Um, and for me, it's very frustrating. Like college hockey, women's hockey is a small world. Um, for me, if a player is going to ghost me and then later down the line want to transfer, like that's going to be a no for me. Um, and that player now may have graduated and now they're applying for an assistant coaching position, whether it be at my school or one of my friend's schools. And I'm going to be like, no, I remember this kid did not answer me. Um, so I think there's something to be said about just, you know, reaching out and um, saying, hey, I'm going in a different direction. I'm sorry, your school's not a fit for me. We've heard no thousands of times. We understand that um, as a student athlete, hopefully they're only going through the recruiting process once because they find a fit and they're there for four years. Um, but we've gone through it thousands of times. Um, but it doesn't take that long just to say, hey, I'm not interested. Um, or thanks for your interest, but I'm going in another direction. Um, so you're always going to get a response from me. I think some of the anger towards coaches that aren't responding to players, I think part of it is just 
Um, there may be players that more of a, a club level player that are reaching out to D1 and don't want to give off the impression that they are being recruited. And again, just because you responded to one message or said hello at one tournament doesn't mean that you're necessarily being recruited by a, a school. And and what's what's the best way to be direct if you're the player like wanting to understand, you know, where you really stand? Short and simple and direct. I'm not interested. Thanks for your time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and is that by the coach or by the player? It can be it can be both. Um, it, it's tough too from a recruiting perspective. Um, you like for us, we may have somebody lower on our depth chart. Um, and right now it would be like, well, at the end of the day, if right now I was had to make a decision, I'd be like, maybe this person isn't a fit, but that's because we've got people above them. But it doesn't mean we're not interested. Um, if the people above them are now going to tell me they're all going D1 or they're quitting hockey, um, then now that player is going to be my first choice. So sometimes um, I think it's misinterpreted as maybe dragging somebody on or leading somebody on, but you're, you're still interested. For me, if I know somebody's not going to be a fit, I'm going to let them know that it, it's not a fit. Um, for us at Curry, we're lucky that we have a club program. So I can always kind of point them in that direction. If Again, you're looking for the school that's the right fit first. So if Curry is absolutely the fit for somebody and we just don't have a spot for them, I always direct them to our club program um, so they could still continue to play their hockey career if Curry is the place for them. Gotcha. And and just, just to be clear, because um, I actually have heard of this specific story uh, recently, is let, let's just say, you know, you're, you're the fifth on, on their depth chart of where a school wants, and they're still talking through one through three. Um, you know, will you be transparent with the player on like, here's where you are on, on our list? Because I've heard of stories where the second two or three accepts, they that's when they stop communicating. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. And again, um, if you ever have questions as a recruit, like you can put a coach on a spot, you can ask them that question. Um, and it's part of their answer to the question that's going to tell you, but also are they going to answer the question? Or are they going to run around the question is going to tell you, um, uh, on the kind of flip side, like I was talking to a recruit, um, last week and, um, you know, they have their dream school, but their dream school has not contacted them, has not offered them a spot. And they still want to hold on to that. And I'm like, it's now December. Like we've wanted you for many, many months. So um, you're going to find out who wants you and who doesn't. Um, but don't be afraid to ask those questions. Um, if somebody asks me a direct question like that, even if I haven't necessarily communicated that yet, um, like I'm not, I don't want to come right out. Like if you're recruiting number five on our depth chart, I'm not going to come out and be like, well, you're not my first choice. I'm not going to say it that way. Because um, then I'm going to lose you. You're going to not want to come here. Um, but if you ask me that, I'm going to give you a direct answer. Or I will say, hey, we've got five people on our list right now. You're one of five. We're figuring out who we're going to offer to. We do have one offer out. That's going to determine what we're going to do next. Um, and then I'll talk people through the process of if this person says yes, I'm going to contact you and let you know. Um, if they say no, then we've got to make a decision who it's going to be. Um, I always tell people too, like, if you really want to come to our school, tell me, because now I can go to those people above you on the list and say, hey, I got somebody that really wants to come here. Um, do you want to come or do you not want to come? And if they can't give me an answer, well, then they're gone. And I want the person that was initially number five on the depth chart to be here because we want people that want to be here. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you for that. Um, all right. So uh, just a couple more questions on the recruiting side of things. Um, with 72 D3 schools, how does a player figure out which one is right for them? By reaching out to multiple schools, um, doing your research. Some people know what they kind of want. They know if they want small, big, 
Um, they want to be in a city, close to a city, um, more rural. They know they want a specific major. Some people don't know what they want. Um, and some people think they know what they want and then they get to college and they realize that's not at all what they want. Um, so, um, that can kind of help guide your, your search. Um, I, again, I would find a school that fits for you. Um, coaches can come and go, whether that's their choice or a school's choice. Um, you may have an injury Hopefully not another pandemic happens, but things can happen where now hockey's not there. So you want to make sure it's a fit for you. So um, I would definitely reach out to multiple schools, see multiple campuses. Um, even if a player tells me I absolutely love Curry, Curry's my first choice. And then I say, well, where else have you visited or what other schools have you maybe done like a FaceTime or a virtual tour with? And they say no other school. I say, go see one more school just to make sure. Um, so I just, you know, exploring different avenues. Um, when coaches reach out, don't go by kind of, I don't know, judge a book by its cover or by a single Google search, hear a coach out, talk to a player on the team, um, find out what it's really like before you decide to add it to your list or take it off your list. Gotcha. Okay, last question. Um, and it's a goalie-related question. So uh, I've, I've written a couple of posts about how there are just less opportunities at D1 for the 2023s and 2024s, especially for goalies. Um, so, you know, how, how should a player who, who is on the cusp of either D1 or D3 think about, you know, what their options are as they decide, you know, um, wh where to play hockey for either the 2023, which is getting late in the game now for, for the D1 players, and 2024s? Um. I think that when you're looking at D1 versus D3, um, especially from a goalie perspective, um, if you're maybe going to be a number three goalie at D1 or you could potentially be a starter at a D3 school, you need to know what you want. And what you want may not be the same as what somebody else wants. Like um, I, I had talked about how I knew I was going to be on the bottom of the depth chart at Quinnipiac, but I was okay with that. I wanted that. I wanted to be around better players and I wanted to be pushed. Um, somebody else in that situation may be completely unhappy because they need to play to be happy. So um, I think the first thing is looking at yourself in the mirror and really understanding what you want and what you need. Um, and then as far as, you know, deciding, you know, people talk about gap years all the time. Um, to me, if you don't have a specific reason, if a, a coach hasn't said, hey, we want you, but we don't have room until this year, um, or maybe like you or your family has experienced a loss or something, um, to do a gap year to wait for more opportunities um, or to, you know, have more exposure, I think you're actually limiting your opportunities because um, like if there's a 2023 player right now and we have interest in them, um, but they don't like their opportunities and they think more opportunities are going to open up. If D1s haven't come already, they're not coming. Um, and the D3s that want you, like for me, if you tell me that if I'm telling you, you can be a top six forward for us next year. And you told me that you would rather do a, a gap year. You're telling me effectively that you don't want to come to my school. Um, so I'm not going to waste my time the following year. So I think you're, you're not going to get many more D1 opportunities and the D3 opportunities are going to get smaller. So if you're going to take a gap year, I think it needs to be for a specific reason. Um, there's specific individual personal reasons. Um, again, maybe you, your family's experienced a loss financially. It makes sense for them. Um, academically, you need to take another course or two, um, or if a, a team specifically says, we want you for this grad year, um, but just to take a gap year for more exposure, I, I think is a waste of money. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Kelly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to learn about your hockey background, definitely your coaching experience, and most importantly, all the advice that you're given, um, you know, to, to folks out there, that's really what this is all about is kind of learning how to go through the process, especially as you consider all the different options that are out there for players and, and knowing what to consider. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. And if anybody ever has questions, I'm an open book. 
Um, I tell everybody in the recruiting process, even if Curry's not the place for you, like hockey's a small world, women's hockey's a small world. We're in this to help people. There's a fit for everybody. So um, whether it's a recruiting process question or a question about what do you know about this school or whatever it is, like I'm open. Um, people can find my information on our school's website, on social media, wherever, but um, I'm always here to help out other people. I really want to thank Kelly for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed hearing about her coaching journey, learning about the Curry College Women's Program, and Kelly's detailed advice on the college recruiting process. You can connect with Kelly on the team's website or her Chance app profile. Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to share more about the app in Chance app. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I spend a lot of time talking with coaches, parents, and players about the hockey recruiting process. One of the key questions that people want to know is, how does a player get noticed by college coaches? While there are many ways to be discovered, the easiest way to get on a college's radar is to send a coach an email and provide them all the information they need to assess if you are a player worth keeping their eyes on. That's where the app part of Champs app comes in. Champs app was designed based on all the conversations and feedback we received about the recruiting process, and we built a tool to help players and coaches connect with a ton of the information they want to know. It all starts with creating a free, beautiful Champs app profile. After that, there are some pretty magical things that can happen to help make the recruiting process a little less overwhelming. Your Champs app profile includes all the basic academic, personal, and athletic information coaches want to know. Then, by including video, schedule information, and your coach's contact details, colleges can easily start their evaluation process. You just copy and paste your personalized link and send it to coaches so they can see your public player profile without even having to log in or create a Champs app account. Or you can connect directly with coaches on Champs app. More and more coaches are creating their own Champs app profiles and connecting with players themselves every day. Now coaches can have all the information they need to assess where you might fit in their recruiting plans. Even better, college coaches can track your progress throughout the winter and showcase seasons because as you make changes to your profile, coaches will get notified to your updates. And in the future, we will be adding even more amazing features to improve your visibility to the recruiting process and hopefully increase your odds of success. If you wanna see what a player or coach profile looks like before you start your own, look in the show notes to see some examples. My kids and I have used Champs app for their recruiting process. In fact, my son was invited to a AAA tryout thanks to his Champs app profile. So go to www.champs.app and start your player or coach profile. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to complete most of your key information. Good luck, and please let us know how it helped with your recruiting journey.